2: It's really easy to sell the idea of like protecting you. So they always sort of frame it as like, oh, this insurance protects you. And don't worry, you're covered. But it's really not, it's not quite like that. It's more, it's like a financial tool.
3: This is BIPOC Credits, a podcast highlighting BIPOC crew members working in the BC film industry. Listen in to stories from behind the scenes of your favorite Films and TV shows. Together, let's celebrate the progress we've seen so far in becoming a more diverse film industry. Plus, learn how you can be a part of the BC film industry. Here's your host, Andy Wong.
4: Hey guys, welcome to the bonus episode of this season with Front Row Insurance. We're incredibly grateful for this opportunity to partner up with Front Row Insurance because they also gave us $25 off coupon code for all of their services. I know there are a lot of filmmakers listening to this and saving any bit of money for insurance when you're making a film at a really low budget really helps. So keep listening to find out how you can take advantage of this really sweet deal. Uh, As filmmakers, so often we see insurance brokers in the limited perspective of being a means to an end to get the gear we need or the location permit we need. But in this bonus episode, David Mucklish at Front Row Insurance really breaks down what it's like from the other side of the table. We get into the weeds of different types of insurance and what to expect when you have to claim each one of them. Understanding these situations before you have to deal with them in real life gives you such a strong upper hand. This way, you can prepare for any issues that could arise before they even happen. Things like ENO insurance, general liability, when it's actually right to get insurance. This is all information that, even if it could be a little bit mundane, is really useful to know. We're incredibly honored that David has given up his time to help inform all the filmmakers listening to this podcast. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with David McLeish welcome to our second season. Hi, David. Thanks so much for joining us for this very special episode of BIPOC Credits.
2: I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
4: We're uh, going to uh, talk about uh, film insurance. The the really, <laughs> I think not a lot of people think about film insurance, but it's so important. And you can get into so much trouble if you don't think about it as a filmmaker. Um, and yeah. And even career-wise, um, uh, I'm sure you'll talk about this a little bit more later. But uh, of all the of all the insurance jobs, it's not one that a lot of people would think exists. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Absolutely, it's <laughs> a little niche for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a good time. I mean, it's it's always super busy. Uh, um, I mean, in terms of insurance, like there's lots of little niches in the insurance world and the film and entertainment niche is like its own little world. So I feel more connected to the film industry than I do to the insurance industry. Um, Because I'm, you know, the conversations that I'm having are about film and I need to learn like the lingo of the film production and TV production. And, you know, I have to be able to communicate that to insurance companies. So, you know, the whole niche of film and entertainment insurance has sort of adapted itself to, the entertainment industry and how it functions so if i was to talk to another insurance broker about you know what i do like they might not have a clue what i'm talking about or like they wouldn't know the first thing about you know how to insure something like this most of them dealing with like auto insurance or buildings you know that's the big thing it's like brick and mortar so, you know, they're used to dealing with, like, a building that is just there forever or for years and years and years. like When you talk to them about, like, a film crew that, you know, just assembles and, like, in two weeks, there's, like, millions of dollars worth of equipment that's lying around. And, like, it just makes them have a nervous breakdown and they don't know what to do. So it's a very clear life cycle of a project, you know, from development to reproduction posts, you know, and then actually being distributed that you kind of have to follow with the insurance. And so it makes sense, you know, once you've seen that cycle go through a number of times, but um, you know, if you're uh, another, you know, insurance broker that doesn't deal with that kind of product that has that life cycle, then yeah, they wouldn't, they wouldn't know the steps. They wouldn't know, you know, what the exposures are. Um, right. So yeah, you end up, because of the nature of what it is that you're insuring, you end up having to become much more familiar with how entertainment and film works than with, say, how, you know, property and casualty underwriting works for, like, marine insurance or something like that. Like, there's a whole other, you know, set of terminology that those people have to use. So, although we're both insurance brokers, like, we just basically can't... Communicate with each other. So, know? would
4: you say you're a, you're a bit of a movie buff yourself as well? Like, you you belong, you you feel like you uh, have found a home in this industry.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I I mean, when I was you know, growing up, <laughs> I was definitely like a movie buff. You know, I went to film camp, and I had movie posters all over my bedroom, and yeah, I sort of dreamed of being involved in that world in some way but you know life happened it never really materialized I pursued other opportunities blah 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 and then just sort of by accident found myself back in that world Um, but when you're in the like insurance part of the entertainment world you're dealing with like people that are in business affairs or you know at the production office you're mainly dealing with maybe producers or production managers. So it's like you see the sort of the business side of the entertainment industry a lot more than say the creative side. Um, Right. Like we're not really involved in creative decision-making unless it's like to you know destroy someone's dreams (laughs) like i've had a lot of people that come to me and they're like oh we want to have like a bonfire and then there's going to be these wolves that are like circling the bonfire or like there's a boat that's going to be going over a waterfall
4: and And you're like it's going to cost this much
2: (laughs) yeah i'm like okay well you know that's insurance is not going to cover any of that. And like, here's a whole bunch of forms you would need to fill out if we want to cover this. And, <laughs> right. you know, here's how much it would cost to ensure that. And then eventually they're like, oh, actually, you know what? The wolf is cut. The bonfire has been cut. We're just going to do it in CGI. <laughs> as
4: unfortunate as that sounds that we have to like, you know, make these creative adjustments in order to um, uh, fit with what, uh, what we can afford to cover. It's also really necessary though to to keep that in mind because if something were to happen a lot of people can uh, lose a lot of money and get get um, in a lot of trouble
2: yes yes and no Um, because mainly what the insurance is looking for is sort of some evidence that you know what you're doing you're taking all of the necessary precautions you've done this before you have experience with it or you know these are the safety protocols that are in place so The insurance company is looking to make sure that nothing's going to go wrong Mm. (laughs) and so nothing usually does go wrong right it's the people that um you know come in with guns blazing that don't necessarily know what they're doing or how they're going to do it that the insurance company then says well hang on you know why should i be insuring this like you're just you know putting all of this risk on us that and you're not taking any steps to you know make sure that nothing bad happens so um they can they can just say you know thanks but no thanks and they can just decline you um or they mean in a way
4: it forces you to be a little bit more creative on how you turn your scenes because that way you can make it safe and also work for the story
2: oh yeah for sure i mean working within any kind of limitation um I think stimulates the creative process. Yeah. It's when you think, like you have like carte blanche that, uh, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. You, know, you don't. What's that expression? Necessity is the mother of invention, right? Like if you have to get something done with like a limited amount of resources, then it you know makes you more think creatively than. So
4: at uh, uh, Front Row Insurance, do you handle independent projects differently from how you handle like? Uh, Larger projects?
2: Mm, Well, not really. The whole sort of application process is the same. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you still have to apply for the same types of policies. Um, The difference between, like, you know, an indie project and, you know, something that's being done by a major studio is that probably the indie project doesn't know, doesn't have a lot of, you know, experience with what they're doing. So they, they ask a lot more questions they need a lot more i don't want to say hand holding because that's somewhat patronizing but you know what i mean they yeah, they need to be, yeah brought along with the process and things have to be explained to them and they have lots yeah. of questions and, you know so whereas with a bigger studio you know you're dealing with somebody that's just basically like churning out these projects and they've done it a million times and like you right. don't have to go over the details with them they already know so it's i mean that's how those businesses run is that they're just really well-oiled machines and they just you know can make things happen whereas if you're responsible for everything and you're you know you're the producer you're the director you're the dop you're the (laughs) you're editing you know you you have to wear a lot of hats and one of those hats you're gonna have to wear is um you know business affairs and accounting and um applying for permits and applying for you know so I can understand why you know you might not have like the mental space <laughs> to, for the insurance part of it, but it's really important. It's uh...
4: it is. I'm, I mean, can you maybe talk about um, why it's uh, really important from your perspective? Why, like, especially for like independent uh, filmmakers and and I guess student filmmakers to to have this in mind?
2: Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I think most people when they First encounter insurance in entertainment. It's not because uh, you know they thought like, oh, I should have, I should be protected for this. It's like they can't get funding without proof of insurance, or they can't right. get they can't rent equipment if they can't prove to the rental house that they have insurance. So insurance is really about opening doors, and it's really about showing other third parties that. They they'll be protected from you, <laughs> you know. It's not really about protecting yourself. It's about showing to other people that you have insurance, and if anything goes wrong, that they'll be protected. So right, uh, it yeah. I mean, when you're first starting out, that's sometimes um, a lesson that people have to go through. Is like they just show up at the equipment rental house and they want to take out all this gear. And so then, then we get this call in a panic. They're like at the rental house. They're trying to take this gear out. <laughs> they don't have any insurance. So they're like, ah, what do we do? So we have to get some really quick. But uh, the importance of insurance is it's really about like opening doors, unlocking resources. Yeah. And um, allowing
4: your, your the people that you're trying to get to trust you to trust you. Yeah. Definitely. I really like that. I've never heard of it or like thought of it that way.
2: Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people, they maybe their first exposure or the the extent of their knowledge of insurance is like insurance ads that they see on TV. (laughs) And it's really easy to sell the idea of like protecting you. So they always sort of frame it as like, oh, this insurance protects you and don't worry, you're covered. But it's really not, it's not quite like that. It's more, it's like a financial tool. You know, it, yeah. it allows you to access huge sums of money that you otherwise wouldn't be able to access. You know, you can rent a right. million dollars worth of equipment. And the reason you can do that is because you provide the rental company with proof that you have a million dollars worth of gear insurance or whatever. Yeah. So,
3: yeah,
2: it's it's more of a like a a financial tool than it is like, a you know, <laughs> a safety net or a personal protection plan or something like that. Right.
4: Well. I'm kind of sold now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what kind of uh, different types of insurance are there? Then, um, if you were to rent something from a gear house, for example, um, what kind of insurance would you require, and how much approximately would that cost? Let's say if you want to rent a camera.
2: Hmm. Uh, yeah, so there's like different. There's a few different options. I mean, we have um, a short shoot policy, which. Hmm. So it's like a 15-day max term. So this is for like a short shoot. You know, you've only got a couple of days. So the policy is only about 15 days long. You can get it extended a little bit longer, but the idea is that it's a very short-term policy. Um, the cost of the insurance is going to depend on the value of the equipment that you're renting. Okay. So you know, it it's just a basic rate that gets applied to say you're you know renting a fifty thousand dollar camera kit. Um, it'll cost you, you know, X amount versus a two hundred thousand dollar kit. It'll cost you, you know, that much more. <laughs> um, so that's, you know, if you're if you're just starting out and like you don't know if this is gonna become like a permanent part of your career, you just got this opportunity and you need to rent out some gear. The short shoot policy makes sense. It, it's it's like a one off. Um, but if you're You know if you're doing anything more than just one shoot then you should really be looking at annual policies um and there's two different kinds so there's a policy that's for producers who do you know multiple short productions throughout the year so a lot of people will do you know corporate videos commercials music videos um shorts uh even some you know sizzle reels things like that, that that are just short productions, but lots of them throughout the year. So they can get an annual policy called the DICE. DICE uh, stands for Documentaries, Industrial, Commercial, or Corporate and Educational Films. So it's an insurance term to Mm. kind of describe that type of uh, film, TV, video producer that does those kinds of operations. So, you know, you can be like a, a huge production house that does commercials like million dollar commercials and you could that would be the policy that you would need so it's it's not just you know for small time operations that are shooting music videos uh you know it it can be like a a very large policy it's just a different way of ensuring production um then the other type of policy is is a production specific policy Mm -hmm. so uh you would have to get one of these for feature film TV, or
4: something like that
2: yeah, a feature film tv series um anything that's you know has a feature length runtime um so those will be very specific to that production so like the mm-hmm. title of the project will become part of the policy um your principal photography dates are part of the policy right. um so you know that's as opposed to a DICE policy, which covers multiple projects throughout the year and doesn't have isn't associated with any one specific project. So there's those two different types right. of production policies. Can um, I uh,
4: go back to the DICE uh, policies? I just yeah. have a question about that. Do you um, it is the rate uh, for how much you have to pay per year dependent on how many projects you shoot or how, how does that work?
2: Yes and no. Um, so the rate on a dice policy is based on your annual gross production costs. Um, so basically, the gross budget of all of the projects that you insure through that policy during the year. So you might have, you know, two big projects that you do in the year, and that's it. And they each have like a three hundred thousand dollar budget. Um, so your premium for a dice. Policy would be based on that, based on six hundred thousand in annual gross production costs. But you know, if you shoot like lots of corporate videos and each one has a budget of like ten thousand, but you shoot you know, sixty in a year, uh, you know, then you'd still be six hundred thousand. So it it's not so much the number of projects that you do in the year; it's the budget. The budget um,
4: of the projects. Okay. Yeah. So if I wanted to, like, create, like, a a, a YouTube series of cat videos, would you <laughs> say I need any kind of, like, insurance policy for something like that?
2: So this goes back to the, like, what is the insurance for? Is it protecting you or is it protecting right. other people from you? I mean, if you're just, like, shooting videos <laughs> of your cat in your apartment with your, you know, <laughs> right. camera, like, maybe not, you know? Maybe, but... If you're out in the world you know as soon as you're going on location anywhere people want to see proof that you have insurance um so if i was shooting like
4: my neighbor's cats then it depends on you know whether or not i'm going to be putting a tripod on my neighbor's yard or something like that then i might need insurance policy
2: yeah well i mean in all cases like we would recommend i mean i you know i'm an insurance right. broker so of course like buy all the insurance yeah. that you can afford <laughs> yeah. right yeah. But where you actually need the insurance is like if you're signing a location agreement the uh, location yeah. agreement says you can't come on this property until you provide us with proof that you have insurance so right. it, it'll depend on the contracts that you're entering into um right so um, you know youtube cat yeah. videos i'll maybe <laughs> <laughs>
4: Okay. Right, right. Um, I'd like to tie that into uh, uh, ENO insurance, actually. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, what is ENO insurance, and do you think it would be beneficial for said cat videos?
2: <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, ENO, um, it's like after the project is finished, you've got your finished product, and then you put it out in the world. So E and O is coverage for that phase of the project, It's when you have a project out in the world. So E and O is covering your legal liability for um, basically intellectual property right infringements. So you know misappropriation of likeness, using people's music without their consent, um, you know having a similar story or scenario or title. So once your project is out in the world, people can come after you and sue you for, mm-hmm. you know, libel, slander, copyright infringement. Um, so there's you putting a project out in the world actually exposes you to some risk, right? Right, right. It depends on the kind of project. I mean, if it's like one hundred percent original, totally creative, there's no like original, nothing's based on real life. Uh, there's no you know, every, all the music is original, like, it would be fairly low risk. So, you know, for a cat video, uh, <laughs> like, there's pretty low risk there, I would say, right. of somebody suing you for, uh you know, some sort of intellectual copyright infringement. Yeah. Unless um,
4: you're using, like, copyrighted music or something like that in the background.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, not zero risk, but a lower risk. But right. Eno insurance is similar to the other, you know, what we were talking about with the production insurance, in that um, you know you're going to be required to have Eno by a distributor. Oh, so okay. The distribution agreement is going to say, you know, what type of Eno policy you need to have, what the limits need to be, how long it needs to be in force for. So it's sort of it's it's again, it's not one of these things that like you just get because you think it'll be good to protect yourself. It's like you can't distribute your project. Right. <laughs> they won't air it unless you provide them proof that you have errors and emissions. Right. Um so the other part How of How long you... do
4: these ENO uh commissions uh last for? What would be like a average time frame for one of these accounts?
2: Yeah, uh, so it, average ENO policy will be about three years long um okay. and there's but they can be longer um and there's two different types of EO policies so there's um what's called a claims made policy and then an occurrence based policy and they function differently um so a claims made policy means that while the policies you can only make a claim while the policy is in force and then once the policy lapses, you can no longer make a claim. <laughs> oh, okay. um, so it's it's more common in Canada because it's less expensive than an occurrence based policy, generally. Um, and it's you know for most projects it's pretty a uh, pretty safe bet because if anybody's going to bring any kind of lawsuit against you, it's usually going to happen in the first three years after your project is aired.
4: I see. Okay,
2: the occurrence-based policy um, it covers things that occur during the policy term. So, uh, as long as your project airs during the first three or during those three years of the while the policy is in force, then it'll cover claims that arise after the policy is lapsed because the incident occurred during those three years. <laughs> so. Right. It's called a long tail, um, meaning, you know, if you air something in those three years, and then twelve years later somebody comes at you and says, uh, you know, hey, that was my script <laughs> that I shared with you in college, and uh, you know, they can, you can make a claim under a current space policy right. twelve years later because the infraction occurred during the three-year term so it's got a a long tail of coverage whereas a claims made policy after those three years or four or five or however long your policy for is enforced once it lapses then you're done there's no more coverage so
4: you'll either have to like renew it or give it up kind of thing
2: yeah so often they're not renewed i mean oh i see yeah i mean it really depends on the project. But, and well, it also depends on your distribution agreements. I mean, the distributor will tell you that, you know, you need an occurrence based EO for three years and it needs to be enforced for the duration of the license period. So, a lot of the, you know, the questions about like, what kind of EO should I get? It's like, it's out of your hand. You <laughs> yeah, know? for sure. Yeah, Almost whatever your distributor start. says. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, good lesson. Read your distribution agreements ahead of time. Right. Um, but you know, if you're not entering into distribution agreements at this point, um, right. but you, you do have, you know, information and uh, products that you're putting out in the world, like cat videos, um, sure. Like it, you know, you could look at getting an EINO policy, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, but the thing about EINO is that lawyers are involved. Oh, lawyers,
4: lawyers are involved. involved.
2: Okay. Yeah. Right. In the application process. So, part of what your the application for you, you know, is looking at is what are your clearance procedures? Um meaning, you know, have you had a media lawyer review the script and review the final cut and you know have they gone through this checklist to make sure that you've obtained all of the necessary licenses for music that you're using for the people that appear on camera with you um, any film clips that you're using so right. the application for eo it's partly done in conjunction with your media lawyer and oh. they sign up and they say you know yes we have done this yes we have obtained licenses or or we will at some point and so, so it's
4: not something that like any filmmaker can do by themselves. It, there's legal there's a legal team behind actually uh, getting this agreement. Uh, yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, if it's if it's a project, if it's like a movie um, or feature yeah. or a TV series or something then yeah, definitely you would have to have a media lawyer involved. So I have worked with people who are like internet content producers. Uh, and trying to get you know for them, but it's very challenging because that's what the insurance companies are looking for is what are your clearance procedures, and usually the <laughs> answer is I don't have any. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, right. uh, so you know, then the insurance company just says, well, sorry. I mean, there has to be some sort of safeguards in place. Mm. So I think uh, people sometimes think about insurance as like the first line of defense.
0: In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that.
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
5: Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues
2: you've taken all of the necessary precautions you've done everything right and then something bad still happens an accident right right? that you couldn't have prevented you couldn't have foreseen and then you suffer this loss and then the insurance comes in and makes you whole again after you suffer this loss but they don't want to be you know protecting you if you're not taking any steps to protect yourself right first so you would you know you'd have to demonstrate to the insurance company that you've you've talked to a media lawyer, you have clearance procedures, you've got takedown procedures, you know, like what are your safeguards in place to prevent there ever being an intellectual property right infringement lawsuit or a libel slander lawsuit. Uh, And if you don't have any of those safeguards in place and you don't have any protocols, um, you know, then you probably won't be able to get insurance.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, especially ENO insurance, I guess. Like you would need all those things um, specifically for that. You yeah. ENO insurance. Um, that, yeah. Thanks yeah, for it's... that. That's really informative because uh, I had no idea. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to uh, talk about like uh, COVID policies. If you know anything, if that's uh, something you're comfortable about.
2: Yeah. Um, well. Sure. I mean. At this point, there are none. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, all of the insurance companies are excluding COVID and communicable diseases on their policies. Um, it's kind of like after 9 11, all of the insurance policies introduced terrorism exclusions, and they're still there. They're still on those policies. Um, oh, it's just okay. not necessarily top of mind. But, right. like, it's, it's not like they, you know, okay, the threat of terrorism is over, everyone's back to normal, so we'll remove these exclusions. It doesn't cost the insurance company anything to have that exclusion on the policy, so it's just basically there indefinitely. And that's the expectation for COVID. So if,
4: um, if any production gets delayed and we have to pay actors' holds and things like that, then all of that has to go out of pocket and there's no insurance that can be had to cover that, right?
2: That's not entirely correct. So oh. Telefilm has um, a, a relief fund um, that you can apply for that will compensate productions for uh, losses due to uninsured losses due to COVID. Oh, so okay. um, it's a temporary it's you know in like catastrophe uh, insurance, like if people are living in a flood zone, and they're not eligible for flood insurance because they are in a floodplain. Um, There are government programs that they can apply for to get assistance um, Mm -hmm. if they suffer a flood loss. So it's similar to that in that the insurance companies have said, okay, we're not going to be covering any losses, production shutdown, losses due to COVID. So then the government stepped in and is providing this temporary temporary relief fund through telephone um, that you can apply for um you you know it's not an insurance product so i don't actually know very much about it oh, sure. um it's applied for through telefilm um and it's being used widely <laughs> i mean <laughs> they need some, right. they need some documentation from their insurance to show you know that they have COVID exclusions on their policies to make them right. eligible for this uh relief and you know it they're asking for cast logs um so cast is part of uh, the coverage that you can get on a, a production policy. So they want to know the names of the cast members that are insured. Right. Um, so that's in Canada. That's telefilm. So it's yeah. it's just a Canadian um, fund. In the U.S., there is actually uh, insurance products that you can get for COVID. But I'm not licensed in the U.S., so I don't know yeah. anything about it. <laughs> That's okay. This is a
4: very yeah. Canadian focused uh, podcast, so <laughs> we'll uh, we'll keep it with what we know in DC. Sure. Talking about actors, um, front row doesn't like the the short insurance doesn't cover actors, does it?
2: No, it doesn't. Um, yeah, so cast insurance, I think is not very well understood um mm-hmm. but so I'll, I'll i'll explain it to you here and now yeah <laughs> um, yeah no please yeah you're not cast insurance isn't really insuring the cast members themselves um they're ensuring the risk that these cast members pose to production <laughs> so um they're what you're ensuring is you know, production delays due to an injury or illness of one of your cast members. So, you know, if you're halfway through principal photography and a cast member dies, <laughs> you know, I'll which is the worst you. case scenario, um, you, the insurance obligates you to complete the project. You can't just abandon it. I mean, you can get abandonment coverage. We can talk about that later, but generally speaking, the idea is that you've got to, you know, pick up and keep going and finish the project, which means you need to recast the role. You need to reshoot all of the scenes that that person was in. So there's all of these budget overruns that you incur because this person died that you know weren't part of the initial budget. Um, and those extra costs are insurable. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what cast insurance is, is covering. It's really the risk that the cast member poses to production, um, and you know the risk of not being able to complete the project. Um, right. More simple examples are like you know, a cast like cold sores are a big thing in cast insurance because yeah. you know if you're shooting a rom com yeah. and your your leading lady gets a cold sore, <laughs> like you've yeah. got to shut down, <laughs> you've got to stop and wait until the cold sore goes away. Um, yeah to finish the project so there's a lot of questions that get asked about like cold sores and you know whether or not you're taking proper precautions and taking medication so simple things like that or like getting a rash like wow. you can't shoot if your leading lady's got a rash on her face so you've got to yeah. shut down and delay and then there's all of these extra costs like to pay for locations pay for equipment rentals yeah. crew right um, so all of those budget overruns are what you're insuring When you're insuring cast, Um, but to get the cast insurance, the cast members need to fill out a medical form. I mean, you can just declare the cast members, um, and that will cover them for accident only. So, you know, if they're hit by a car or they fall down the stairs or something like that, um, you know, you can just get coverage just by declaring the the artist's name to the insurance company. But if you want them to be covered for sickness and illness and death, and um, then the insurance company needs to review a medical, um, and they might, you know, exclude things like if uh, they've got you know a heart condition, they might just exclude any losses related to this cast member's heart condition or or whatever. Um, so, because cast members are filling out these medical forms and they're disclosing personal medical information, which needs to be very carefully handled and protected, <laughs> yeah, uh, they maybe are under the impression that they're being covered for their like health or something right but it's not really about them it's about like it's oh. about the bottom line and the project and the production right. so it's sort of like a interesting delicate conversation that you have to have with cast members like where you're asking them for medical information but like yeah anyway so so yeah on a short shoot you can't get cast because um the idea of a short shoot is that it's a short shoot right mm-hmm. that you know you're just renting some gear you're going somewhere with a tripod and you're going to shoot something quick in a couple of days and that's it right. um, cast coverage is where you've got you know a cast uh or like an <laughs> a, ensemble <laughs> so you know it it's a bit more involved and so you can only really get cast coverage on a project that has you know a production budget and has protocols in place for you know, recasting roles, if that's necessary. Um, so, yeah.
4: Huh. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's really, really interesting, because I, I had no idea. And uh, I believe um, uh, there's a company called AFBS that UBCP, our, our acting union, um, always recommends when we want to actually Cover the cast. I like any injuries on set or anything like that. I think yeah. that would be the uh, the cast injury uh um, coverage. But uh, I didn't know that there was like a in like cast insurance that covered production
1: mm-hmm. before, mm-hmm.
4: and this is something that has to be separately purchased when um uh. uh applying for insurance for let's say like a feature film is that right
2: no, no no it's it's part of the uh it's one of the main coverages on a production oh fault. it is okay oh yeah yeah so the the main coverages are cast coverage and what's called negative and faulty stock coverage so um cast cast claims can be like the biggest claim ever <laughs> that a, a production occurs like I think yeah. the classic or the one of the biggest ones was um, Heath Ledger who right. died halfway through filming uh, what, the Imaginarium Heath? of Dr. Parnassus*. Yeah. right uh, you know so there was a huge cost associated with that and then they recast the role with I think three different people Jude Law and uh, I can't remember who else Yeah. but uh, Colin Farrell I think and, Um, But, you know, all of those costs associated with what production had to do coming to a grinding halt and then recast these roles and then restart production as a result of Heath Ledger's death was, you know, in the millions, tens of millions of dollars uh, to to cover that loss. But all of
4: that additional uh, shooting and those cast members would be covered by insurance. Is that right? Uh.
2: So the cost of doing those extra shoots. Um, gotcha. So what the insurance company would look at is, you know, what was the initial budget for this project? If nothing had gone wrong, wrong, you know, what were you budgeting for? And then you would have to, you know, once this loss occurs, the cast member dies or they become sick, you then have to demonstrate you know that all of these extra expenses that production incurred to complete the project were necessary to completing the project. Um, mm. so you know, you have to show you know why you had to pay these crew or like how much you had to pay the crew to you know work overtime or to be sent home for the day even though they didn't work or you know what all of those extra extra expenses that you incurred um, as right. a result of it. So um yeah, so it's same thing with the negative and faulty. So neg faulty is covering um losses to your actual footage. Um so neg faulty obviously is referring to an older time of film when people were shooting on celluloid and negative, yeah. Mm -hmm. And like (laughs) there's a much higher risk of that being lost and damaged, you know, it's flammable. So, but there, there's a there is a risk, there's a possibility that like you could lose all of your footage, and then you have to go back and reshoot everything. So, cast, Neg, and faulty will always have a limit that's around or you know rounded up from your full gross budget, because there's the risk and the possibility that you would have to just go back and redo everything. Um, Negative faulty doesn't, you know, that doesn't happen as often um, these days right. with digital and the cloud and whatever. But uh, that's still the sort of the principle behind it is that, you know, basically your whole project is, is on the line with these kinds of risks. There's also
4: commercial general liability as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, it's so general. <laughs> <that> <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I always like think something's like covered through that and then I find out it's not. Like I I hear property damage isn't covered through CGL.
2: Uh, Well, no, I mean, it depends on what you mean by property damage. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is, you know, when you start talking about insurance, it's always like caveats and, uh, you know, yes, but, and like, you know, terms and conditions apply. Um, So I I understand the frustration. Um, So, Commercial general liability um, covers your legal liability for bodily injury and property damage to third parties. That's sort of the basic Coles Notes version of CGL. So it's a coverage that only gets triggered when you are sued. Um, So you have to be sued by a personal injury lawyer because their client tripped over some cables that you left lying out at a location and didn't mark clearly and they you know broke their hip or whatever so they they come after you for a bodily injury claim um or you know similarly property damage like you're you know out in the world and one of your production vehicles crashes into the side of a building or something like that you know you don't have any kind of contractual obligation with this um building owner to repair their building so the only way that they can recoup any losses that they incur for property damage is to sue production right um, so commercial general liability uh it gets triggered by being sued
4: got it um, um so and- if for example i was on the set and then um our uh let's say our like grips and electrics department um put like some really heavy cable on grass and that like property, that grass field got um, destroyed. Um, Is that something that could be, that that would only be covered by CGL if they sued us. Um, But if we wanted to replace that field, um, that wouldn't be covered by CGL. Is that right?
2: Well, so yes and no. So (laughs) there's, if you're shooting on a location, You'll enter into a location agreement that will Mm. say that, you know, you have to return this property to the property owner in the condition it was in when it was given to you. Um, So that creates a contractual obligation that you, the production has to repair damage to property. Mm -hmm. Um, That's no longer covered by the CGL. It's covered by something called third party property damage, which is coverage under the production policy that's just like um, an equipment equipment coverage. you know you drop a camera or you you know something burns mm. down light and equipment gets destroyed. You have an obligation with the rental company to repair or replace that equipment so you can just make a claim under your insurance and repair uh, the camera gear or have it re- have the you know rental house re- reimbursed for the repairs same thing with a location agreement because you have this contractual obligation to repair damage to the property you can then make a claim under your insurance to you know say okay well we damaged this lawn by putting these cables down here and the homeowner is upset with us and wants the lawn replaced and then you know you send photos of the before and after to the insurance company and they say okay fine whatever and you know they put it down some new sodding so there's no lawyers involved because you already have that contractual obligation to repair the lawn or repair the location um, in the absence of that contractual obligation the only way that you know um, a third party an innocent bystander can go after you is by suing you so that's when the CGL gets triggered and the CGL you know once you get served notice um, you have to put the insurance company on notice and they have the right to defend, to settle out of court. It's sort of out of your hands at that point, like how oh, okay. it's going to be, how it's gonna unfold, you know? So <laughs> they, they might, even if you don't think you did anything wrong, they might just settle so they don't have to pay lawyers to go to court. Right. Uh, but if they think that, you know, there's a chance that, so to actually have damages awarded against you by the courts, the court has to find you negligent that you know, it wasn't just an accident, that you didn't take necessary care and you didn't take the necessary steps, precautions to prevent property damage or bodily injury. So they have to find that you were negligent in some way and then they'll award, the courts will award damages. So if the insurance company thinks that you know they have a case to be made, that there was no negligence here and that they shouldn't be paying out millions in damages uh, just because they got served a letter from a personal injury lawyer, then they might take it to court and defend you. And then they'll pay for the legal costs. And, but it's up to them to, you right. know, because they're the ones that are paying the bills at that point. So they right. can decide, you know, do we want to pay for all these lawyers to, um, yeah. So yeah. sometimes people think that CGL is like, you know, like they've got a lawyer in their back pocket. <laughs> and then like, yeah. then the lawyers, you know, but it's really not up to you.
4: And the third party property damage covers uh, is that the same for covering gear as well um if we and is uh, is that um coverage in our just regular like production coverage
2: yeah so those will be two different coverages but they're both part of a regular production package mm-hmm. um so there will be what's called miscellaneous equipment or production equipment and that's all of your gear cameras lighting sound grip gear um, some insurance companies include uh, vehicles in that, but others don't. Um, so it's, that's all of your equipment, um, miscellaneous equipment. And
4: can you talk a bit about like, what the deductibles for those would be and, and how deductibles work in insurance?
2: It can vary. Um, I mean, uh, on an equipment coverage, the deductible can be anywhere from 2500 to, I've seen, 10000 um sometimes it'll depend on you know the kind of gear that you're using or where you're filming um a ten thousand dollar equipment deductible would probably only be on a project that's like shooting internationally so equipment is being shipped all over the world if you're you know doing a lot of aerial or underwater photography or things like that where there's a higher risk that equipment is going to be damaged then the insurance company might pose a higher deductible but uh You know, a typical equipment deductible would be about $2,500 for gear. And is that
4: something that, like, we would have to pay in order to get our coverage, uh, in order to get our insurance? Or is that something that you guys would um, take off how much money you guys give us back? Like, how does that work?
2: Yeah, it it depends um, on, you know, how the claim gets settled with the insurance company. Um, usually what will happen is, um, I mean, they'll they'll all be on a reimbursement basis, uh, typically. Mm-hmm. So it's only after you've you know replaced all of this camera equipment or repaired it that you submit the invoices to the insurance company and then the insurance company will reimburse that amount less the deductible say gotcha, so gotcha. That's often one way it's done, but you know, sometimes uh, like, you might have to pay the insurance company back the deductible. <laughs> um, it, it really depends. But uh, so the idea of the deductible is that you, the insurance company won't cover any losses um, up to that amount. So the, the intent of a deductible is to prevent what the insurance industry calls nuisance claims, um, which right. are like little, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I dropped my iPhone in a puddle, um, you know. Like the insurance company doesn't want to be dealing with lots and lots of little nuisance claims. So yeah. they say, okay, anything over and above this is no longer a nuisance. It's actually a legitimate loss. So we'll cover those things. Right. Um, you know, that for people just starting out who like maybe all they have is like $50,000 worth of gear, you know, that can be a hard pill to swallow for sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, once you're dealing with big productions and million dollar budgets, and it's just like, it's just part of the machinery of the cash flow. You know? For sure. For sure. So,
4: um, I just have one more question. What would you say is the thing you love about like film insurance specifically?
2: Well, I love like feeling sort of a part of that world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, if it's if I can even say that I'm a part of that world, but you know, it's like can. I can I communicate more with people in the film industry than I can with people in the insurance industry. I kind of know what's going on in the in- entertainment world, like, you know, mainly in Vancouver, but you know, I'm just sort of up on the business side of it. So that, that was really interesting. It's like seeing, coming at this part of the industry or entertainment, like everybody watches movies, everybody yeah. watches tv right. and loves that and like so of course i did as well but i got to see this whole other side of the machinery of like how movies actually get made and how tv shows actually get made and, and talking with people that are working behind the scenes in the sort of business affairs looking at production budgets looking at like right. actual mechanics of how it all gets done and being you know one tiny little cog in that wheel <laughs> this uh provides me some measure of joy i guess <laughs> so it's yeah i mean there's a lot worse places you could be if you're yeah. uh, an insurance broker it's, um, yeah.
4: same yeah. same for me as well i i, I love i love like the, the the film industry and how it all works and and that machine it, it's so fascinating so i can completely relate to that
2: <laughs>
4: totally. yeah well, Thank you so much, David. This has been really fun.
2: Yeah, it was great. It was was super fun. Yeah,
4: I've learned so much. uh, Like, honestly, thank you. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening, guys. As I promised, the next time you're making a film and need to get insurance through Front Row, use the coupon code 25 dollars off to get $25 off your order. I'm not being paid by Front Row or anything, this isn't necessarily a sponsorship. If you have other insurance brokers feel free to use them, however I know a lot of people in BC use Front Row as their insurance broker, so if this helps you out then that's awesome. I'm just excited that I can help alleviate the financial burden of getting insurance from making art. I know the last couple of movies I produced, getting insurance was one of the biggest budgetary constraints we had and this coupon code really helped me out so I hope it'll do the same for you guys. Um, We also have this code on our Instagram as well as our newsletter so be sure to sign up for those to easily copy and paste the exact code during checkout. I hope you guys found this episode as informative as I did. Don't forget to check out my other episode I released today with Bright Lights producer Aaron Au talking about being a producer for Netflix. Have a fantastic week, guys, and I'll see you on set.
3: Thanks for listening to BIPOC Credits by Andy Wong. This episode was produced by Nightingale. Our editor is Rihanna Toy. Graphics by Joshua Lam. Theme music by Peter Robinson and Patrick Fiore. Intro and outro voiceover by Mike Lee. Thank you to our community partner culturebrew.art for supporting us. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at Credits. If you're enjoying what we're doing here, subscribe to our newsletter to get all the juicy information we didn't quite get to in this podcast. Thank you once again for listening to BIPOC Credits.